Welcome, this is Coppercast, a new show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Erica Stanford. She's the founder of the UK's Crypto Curry Club, which is a hugely successful networking and pre-COVID anyway, meetup forum for entrepreneurs in the tech space. Erica grew up in Berkshire, but she went to the University of Edinburgh, like many people, because she simply fell in love with the city. She studied economics and upon graduating, held an internship at CERN in Geneva. She's worked for a number of large multinational corporations and is also a guest lecturer at the University of Warwick, where she contributes her expansive knowledge of cryptocurrencies to their students. But she's a reluctant entrepreneur at heart, and she's here to talk to us today about the Crypto Curry Club, which she co-founded and is one of the biggest and longest standing meetups for UK crypto and tech enthusiasts. Welcome, Erica. Hi, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Uh, I guess I'll jump into my first question because it's going to be what everyone wants to know is what is the Crypto Curry Club and where did it come from? So the Crypto Curry Club came from a bit of a hissy fit, to be completely honest. I'd, I'd been working and, and interested in the sort of crypto blockchain space for a while and wanted to meet more people and wanted to find out what other people were up to. So I spent uh, all of summer 2018 um, going to every meetup pretty much in London, all the different networking events and meetups and talks just to find out what was happening, trying to find a good one, just meet some cool people. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you went to any of them, but they really are horrendously bad. There were a few good techie ones, but I was never that technical. But it's always some like weird mashup of like speed dating and LinkedIn in person. Right. And like awful. used car salesmen yeah. trying to wear oversized suits and charging <laughs> speakers and listening to sales pitches while sat in rows. And then they say, go network. And I mean, I'm relatively outgoing and. If you're in a room full of strangers and they say go network and talk to people, I'll still be the awkward one at the side talking to the one person I know there yeah. or hoping somebody will come and talk. I found it really, really difficult and really hard to meet anyone. And the, I mean, this was still 2018, so there's still so many uh, scams and dubious mm. projects and optimistic projects, let's say. In you can the say space. scams. It's like the biggest complaint we get on the show is that um, there's still going to be scams. <laughs> there still were a lot. Yeah. And I, I just thought if you had, if you could get a room of just all of the best people together, I thought that would be really fun. And I, I was just walking home from a, one of the, the events in Shoreditch one night. And previously, a few years ago, I'd been just as a plus one, but to, it's a property developer's Christmas curry. And I, I wasn't a property developer, but I was, I was invited along. And it was just the best networking I, I'd ever been to. It was just super, super fun. It was in a curry house. And, and just super, super fun. It was invite only and a few guests. And I'm still friends with somebody I met there, had some really cool conversations, just a really, really good networking event. And I thought, Do you think okay, that, well, is there blo- something about like breaking bread with people? 100%, that 100%, just, you know, 100% sharing food. So I, and I just thought this is exactly what the space needs. And, and it's exactly that. The minute you sit down and start eating and sharing food with people, you're more relaxed. Mm. You're, you're more calm. You're psychologically, you're just happier. And, and the wonderful thing with curry is it such a sharing food? You have to ask people to pass an arm bread or pass a rice or whatever. Mm. So you have to start talking to people the minute you're sat opposite them and sharing food with them. So it's just the easiest icebreaker that there was. And it's fun. It's a fun food to share. And um, everyone always asks why curry is the UK's national dish. Um, <laughs> partly. And everyone likes curry. And partly crypto curry. It just sounded good. It sounds very similar um, to cryptocurrency right and and the domain crypto carry was gone so i was just just googling it on that walk home um but crypto carry club was available so hey i feel like i've missed a trick by not getting in a curry for us to enjoy (laughs) while we have this chat um so obviously all sort of 
you know, companies that are events driven and, you know, in-person meetup driven have this year really, really been impacted probably more than any other industry sure. other than hospitality by um, COVID and, and the pandemic. So like you guys, it, it seems like you made a fairly swift and easy transition to hosting webinars right? and, you know, still having those conversations. But how did, how did you find that process? Um, I mean, it still took me a good, a good few weeks or about a month uh, into lockdown to, to start hosting the webinars. And I mean, what's been amazing with the Curry is we've got such an amazing community. I think we've now got the biggest community in the UK for, for sort of founders of, of companies and, and senior leaders in the crypto and blockchain space. So we had this amazing, incredible network of people who'd already spoken at our events and, and other people who we could reach out to for whom it was sometimes easier to speak digitally um, than, than to attend a real-life curry. So we already had the network of speakers and the audience in place, so that was amazing. Um, so it was really just a question of, hey, what, what do we do? Let's, let's chat to these people. And, I mean, the thing with... These, these sort of virtual, we don't call them webinars because they're, they're boring and no, it's good, but <laughs> I think everyone's fed up of Zoom. We call them yeah. live chats. Uh, well, what's super interesting with them because you can have these really cool in-depth conversations with these just the most incredible people um, and just go way more in-depth than you would at a real-life event because, of course, the real-life events are all focused on meeting people and networking and sure, we have speakers, but that, that, that's shorter and... Uh, and the focus is on meeting people, whereas on the live chats, you, you've just got 100% zoom in on some incredible subjects. Mm. We've had everything from um, behind the Mercedes team in Formula One to autonomous um, autonomous aircraft to electric aircraft to some of the coolest crypto and blockchain startups to... Um, are those, I mean, those are recorded. Are they available? Yeah, we've got a YouTube channel. So okay. I think so we'll link to some of those great. then in, the, in this piece Cryptic as well. Curry Club at YouTube, yeah. Okay, nice. Um I guess then it's a bit of a shift in focus to these events than if previously it's networking and, and now there's a lot more emphasis on the conversation. Like the qual- Is it like the quality of conversation's gone up, but the opportunity to network has maybe diminished a little totally, bit? Yeah. Every day, um, every day I've got people and companies since, you know, you're talking about some of the, the biggest firms in the world reaching out to me, just asking when can we do any type of event at all, even if mm. it's small groups of people outside. Um, and, and there's some pretty big companies who say it's literally has been their biggest source of business development and of customers and clients um, in, in the space just from coming to the events because you've got all companies from everything from Google to Worldline to IBM to HP to the the most innovative and exciting startups and and scale-ups in the space just all getting together so you've got everything from um people have hired people from there or got investment from there or found investment projects to invest in through getting sponsorships or partnerships or clients customers so yeah it's been incredible for them do you get do you have an idea at the moment i mean this is total like moonshot like of when you'll be able to host in-person events again or is it all just who knows that yeah who knows i I'll be the first to say before lockdown, I totally thought everyone was over-dramatizing the whole thing. And then, you know, at the start of lockdown, I, I was just so sure that, you know, July mm. will be back to normal. August, okay, maybe August people are away. But then September, when kids go back to school, everything will 100% be back to normal. And it's just getting worse and being pushed back. So, yeah. no, we, we'll, we'll find out when we find out. That's fair. I think we had, you know, the Copper team had, had some events planned in March in Hong Kong. And then obviously lockdown happened. So we, 
rearrange the flights to September because right. we're like, surely sure. everything will be fine by September. Yeah. And I've just had to rebook those flights again yeah. for March of next year. But. And what's so interesting is now if you talk to, to so many of the companies who had large offices in London, they, they've now handed notices on the office yeah. um, because they just realized that everyone's happy at home. They've got their families, they've got their dogs, they've got their pets, they've got the countryside often for those living yeah. outside London. And they don't want to spend two, three hours a day often commuting into into London or being stuck in an office. So you've got a whole different dynamic. And I think when things go back to normal, there's going to be a lot less companies based in London. Yeah. I do wonder how much of that is, you know, the grass is always green on the other side a little bit. Like, I'm sure no one misses their commute in reality, but... You know, it's nice working from home because you get to see the dog and whatever. But right. maybe after two years of that, people are like, man, I really miss the office and the I, air conditioning. I think there's a balance. Yeah. I think there's a balance. And, and you need, humans need company. Yeah. And, and I think there's a balance. And if you can come in at least a couple of days a week to see people and socialize, I think that will probably keep everyone sane. Yeah. Okay, getting back to some of the, you know, the more blockchain crypto mm-hmm. element of the club. I mean, you've over the past two years had an opportunity to interact with a huge number of projects and teams and companies. So, you know, is there, have there been any in the space, you know, blockchain or, or AI, or you guys are also looking at the med tech stuff now that, you know, they've really jumped out at you and you've thought, wow, these guys are onto something and I can't wait to see this project development. Um, there's, There's been so many. And, and what has been really cool is that there's some companies that even before, I sort of met them or came across them. I'd, I'd heard about these companies and been following and just thinking, wow, this is absolutely incredible what they're doing. And I mean, what's been really cool with the live chats is with some of them, I've just been able to reach out to them on LinkedIn and they come on our show and we can just chat to these people who I've followed and admired um, in a sort of total fan club type of way for years. So that, that's been incredible. There's, there's so many different projects. I mean, my personal favorite that I always talk about is, is plastic bank. So they work with um, collecting the, the waste plastic that goes around into the environment, into the ocean. And because in all of the world, there's just no incentive to pick up this plastic. It's just worthless. So people just throw it away and they give this plastic a value and incentivize local people to pick it up mm. and, and then recycle that plastic. And that's all recorded on blockchain. But they, they pay these people in digital currency. So it's creating whole new income streams and even sort of credit scores for these local people. In, in these poor communities where there's otherwise no chance of earning that money whilst getting all of that plastic out of the environment. So just an incredible project. That, that serves as a, as a nice segue to talk about the show and tell segment that you just recorded for us, um, which to our listeners, if you haven't seen, of course, you can find it on our YouTube channel and our social channels and on the website. Um, but you talked a lot about, um, you know, the, the income inequality in the world and how crypto conser- right. cryptocurrencies can serve to sort of rebalance the way the poorest people are able to interact with the economy. Um, why, why is that an important topic for you or one of interest? I, I just think it's so relevant to so many people around the world. I, so I lived in, after, after the sun trip, I, I lived in Geneva and Buenos, uh, in, in Buenos Aires uh, for a while in, in Argentina. So this was 2008. So you go out in the streets and there's people protesting day on, day on, day on because they just lost their entire um, entire money in the economic situation there. And in sort of summers during uni and after, I, I spent a lot of time traveling around South America, Central America, Asia, and really seeing a, a lot of how people literally can't get money from A to B. And one of the sort of the, the key experiences, which when I heard about crypto, I was like, wow, this is really useful. I spent one summer in Guatemala um, when I was younger and got mugged 
like four times in a row and I think it's fairly standard there and and just was left with no cards whatsoever I'd sort of gone as a you know super armed young kid with correct cards and travelers checks and whatever everything got stolen so um one day I, I had to walk to the, the nearest Western Union which was a few miles away and call my dad who was in England and I'm like dad <laughs> I've lost, you know, been mugged again. I can't, I don't have any money. I can't get any money. So he sent me money, which was super kind. But that took three days to arrive and cost 14%. And that was the only way to get hold of money. Then this was before Bitcoin was, was invented. Uh, and it was just the only way to get money around. And that got me thinking that, okay, yeah, I'm in a lucky position. I can call my dad and he can send me that money. But this is a reality for billions of people around the world who it's not just a one-off that they have to pay 14% or, or wait a few days to get their money. This is just standard day-to-day. So I, I'd done a bit of research into that then and was just pretty shocked by the whole thing and just how many people literally can't just get money sent to them for free. And so when I saw about crypto and, you know, I think initially I bought, I don't know, 20 quid or something just to send around just to do these little microtransactions and, and you can just send it instantly and it just works so well. And sure, I mean, this it was complicated to send. You've got these on codes and it's, it's scary and it may or may not get lost. But you can just send this money pretty much for free instantly. And that was just, wow, eye-opening. I could see the potential for it. So I was never really interested in the whole trading side. But I could totally just see where this could come into play for, for people all around the world. So I guess one of the, like you mentioned there, like one of the barriers to adoption has been the, you know, the, the level of technological understanding or knowledge that's required to you know operate a, a bitcoin wallet right. and like priv- private key management it's, it's it's a pretty i mean a fairly high baseline knowledge required right. to get involved in the space but i guess one of the other drawbacks maybe to blockchain technology and if you look at like the environmental impact of the bitcoin blockchain like the mm-hmm. amount of energy that goes into you know or that is consumed when when mining coins or do you yeah. think that might serve as another barrier to adoption or do you think the the overall benefit, especially to the world poorest, in having you know a, a more cost-effective way to send money, will overcome those obstacles. I mean, I think that that's changing. If you look at Bitcoin, it's it's hugely economically inf- inefficient and uses more energy than some countries around the world do. Um, but Bitcoin was the first, and if you look at, for example, the the tube in London, it's slow, it's expensive to run, it loses money. It's not super efficient. It's always delayed. There's loads of problems with it. But then if you go to, say, take the underground in Hong Kong or Singapore, it's instant and it's it's fast and it's on time and it's efficient and it's cheap. And so I, I kind of see Bitcoin like that and some of the the blockchains that are more energy intensive. That That is just a sort of a first run at these technologies and, and Bitcoin has many great use cases. But I think the, te- the space is evolving so fast and you now do have cryptocurrencies and blockchains that use no more energy than any app you use on your phone. If you're using WhatsApp on your phone, that uses as much energy as, as some sort of nodes and some blockchains do. So I think that is changing super, super fast. So I don't really think that's an argument against it. It's more uh, the space is just changing really, really fast. And I, I, what I really like about the space and find really exciting about the space is you've got so many incredible, intelligent people who are who have moved and left from... Um, C-suite roles in large corporations, in banks, people who are earning 
loads of money who had every opportunity in front of them but who were sometimes frustrated by how slowly things were going in some of these larger companies and just saw this space and that are, are moving there for the innovation and you've got these incredible minds coming from all over to really drive innovation and change so fast so um, well, I think that will change I wonder if one of one of the influxes that you're, that you're maybe getting at is some of the more money that's coming into the field as well I I noticed you had Asen from MMC on on the on right. the, the live yeah. chat recently, and uh, MMC are one of our um, VCs. So, I mean, have you noticed a, a change in the audience at the Crypto Curry Club? Like, are you seeing more VCs? We have a lot of VCs. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of VCs and investors. Did it start that way though? No, no, it started as some smaller crypto companies and some of the sort of the bigger tech firms like the IBMs and the companies who had the blockchain platforms. Uh, and what is really cool now is some of the companies we've got are some of the world's biggest retail brands, food brands, um, you know, everything from Google to Nike to Coca-Cola. We've had people from the UN even. Um, and you've got everything from companies who are already actively using blockchain and crypto to those who are like, hey, this is a technology that we need to learn about. And they're literally just coming mm. to, to meet other people in the space and to ask questions and to find out about what's going on and keeping an there on the ground. We've got loads of VCs now and that's just growing all the time. And, and they're reaching out more and, and want to partner more because they're looking for their next projects to invest in. Of course. But likewise, there's more, there's more and more sort of innovative and, and cool and exciting startups coming as well. So that pairing seems to work well. So, I mean, the space is growing. There's there's money coming in. There's smart people coming in. Um, you guys just put out uh, a fantastic report. It's called 101 Women in Blockchain. Um, and I think one of the, I guess, key findings from that is that there still aren't a lot of women coming into the space. There's not um, a lot of women. So, I mean, what else did you learn from, you know, putting this report together? So, it was it was actually a, an investor in, in the space who, who suggested the idea to us. And... Um, it, it, it just seemed to make sense because if you look at blockchain and crypto a little bit in the UK, it's 5% of people working in the space are, are women. And I'm always getting told that my events are super female friendly because we get like 20 or 30% of attendees which sometimes are women. But it's it's still not a lot. And and it was a good idea to start looking at it. We didn't quite realize how much work it was going to be. But what was just super cool was just like speaking to these incredible women who are just created these incredible startups and projects or are just running these incredibly large companies and doing incredible jobs all around the world and getting to have conversations with them was was just incredible so really I mean, I, really good I, I had a look at at the actual list of 101 people um and i'm ashamed to say uh i recognized i guess 10 10 names on well, they're, the list they're from all around the world as well yeah i mean but the blockchain space isn't that big right. and so to only for me to only you know recognize 10 people on here i think that's a problem so how would we go about changing that? Like, what do we need to do to highlight these these people's you know contributions to the space more? Right. well that was one of the questions we asked a lot of the women in in the report and you, you get answers that just based on the space is so male driven mm. that is often just in intimidating or off-putting for women to apply or even things like job adverts are worded in such a masculine way and, and targets are set in, in such a masculine way that you might have women who are incredible and competent who are just put off or, or wouldn't feel open to applying to those roles and I mean we spoke earlier I've done some lecturing at, at work business school and you speak to a lot of the students and there's so many people are desperate for jobs in this space but 
often are intimidated on how to approach it. And you do see this a lot, especially younger women. It can be quite intimidating to approach a room full of guys. And crypto is a room full of guys. And blockchain is, is the same thing. So a lot of people have said if there is a female leader or even a female interviewer and as part of the recruitment drive, as part of the marketing drive, then that would be a, a much more welcoming uh, approach to, to getting young students on board. But then also you've got, I think, a whole load of aspects that in some cultures, for example, girls are just taught to code early on. But that, that doesn't seem to be the same. Hey, you still got a lot of sort of certain subjects are for men, certain subjects are for women, um, feeling spe specifically in the UK. And a lot of people have said that. So what a lot of the women have commented is just the need to teach things like coding to teach innovation to teach economics to to women at a younger age as well so it's really like a legacy systemic probably in stem subjects Seems specifically yeah it? okay um i also noticed a conspicuous absence of some of the very intelligent women we have working at copper on this list so next year's next year's next year's list um what do people do to are, are you gonna put like nominations on a website or how do how do people get involved in this I mean, I think we released this last last week and I think we were grateful to have a break for it, to be honest. Sorry, but <laughs> throw you right back in it. <laughs> no, um, no it, it would be amazing to hear from more people. And I mean, it was our limitation because there was only two of us doing the research initially and it would be amazing to hear nominations from people. So if anyone does have any women to um, to nominate, do email at us, us. So it's hello at cryptocurryclub.com uh, and we will look at that. And we've already been asked if we can do some reports about women in fintech or women in in other aspects. So open to, open to looking at options for that because whilst it was a, an awful lot of work, it it's a opened, huge report. It's like two hundred and some it, pages. It's, it's a, it was a lot of work. It, it took six months in the end, um, but it it did spark a load of incredible conversations with those women and with other people who have sub subsequently seen it. And, and maybe wanting to partner with us. Have you thought about like spinning up a, a separate network of just the, the women in blockchain? We did a women's only crypto carry club and this was when crypto, the crypto carries were, were younger. So gosh, I don't even remember times before Corona now. Yeah. But it, it's, this was when the, the network was much smaller than it is now. And and we had a, a, a lunch and just a room full of, of women along. And that was, it was a totally different dynamic, super fun. And a lot of the women there said they would love to come back and, and do more of those things. And so many people have said they'd love to do that. So that there's definitely options there. I mean, that's obviously for real life things when they come back. Mm. Maybe there is a space for a women's only um, network. And, and a lot of... Um, exhibitions and conferences are always looking for female speakers because what you do tend to get is the same old guys going year after year after year after year to speak and not only are they looking for women and more diversity but just new fresh speakers with different perspectives so well, I look forward to submitting maybe. our own own people for these all right excellent um before we wrap up we have a list of questions that we ask everyone okay. uh, I hope you don't mind sure. going through them um the first one very broadly, where do you see the crypto industry in one year and in 10 years? Gosh, in in one year, I mean, I think it will advance. I don't think we're going to see anything massively changing because there's still so much uncertainty around regulation. And the UX is still pretty horrible. Um, that, that needs a lot of improvement. So we were speaking earlier, there is more institutional focus coming in. There's much more corporate adoption and interest coming in but a lot of the companies that are just starting to look at crypto and blockchain that's going to take a lot of time really for them to start really using it and, and looking at it and seeing what they're going to do in the space and um, 
but I, I think I mean the main priority really is is just sorting out the UX, sorting out the user experience, just making crypto so easy to use. It needs to be as easy as it would be to go onto WhatsApp and send a photo to send crypto to your friend. Just click on their face or click on their name or click on the email address, press send, done. Cool. Um, so until that happens, I think we're going to struggle to get real good adoption. I think in 10 years' time, based on how much blockchain is being used in, in every industry, I think we'll just be using blockchain technology just in the background without knowing it in, in everything from logistics to supply chain to sending money to sending donations. So I think blockchain will have a real big use in, in the same way as we use software now. You don't necessarily know what you're using. And crypto, I do think there's so much focus now on, um, for example, the CBDC, so the central banks looking at issuing digital currencies. So I think what we will... See, I do think that the time for all of the volatility and the the maybe the more hopeful, optimistic, or, or dubious projects that you would call scams, I, I think that is coming to an end. I think regulation will start to, to come down much more strongly on those, uh, and I think there's a limited use case for a lot of the sort of the really volatile cryptocurrencies that don't necessarily have use cases. But I think we will start to get just a lot more mainstream adoption in terms of sort of stable national digital currencies that are just used day-to-day for payments to replace uh, the standard fiat physical currency. Cool. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would you change? The user experience. Okay. The user experience of of particularly of sending, sending crypto. And also, I mean, this is a big thing to say, but there's all of the focus really is on the volatility and the hype and the excitement and you only need to look back a couple of weeks and all the the craziness that went around and some of the, the DeFi scams basically um you've had so much excitement about yam and sushi and all these different food types that they converted into these projects that raised you know half a billion or so and, and then just crashed and, and and disappeared and whilst there's still so much excitement around that and this volatility and these mad sort of rushes of people throwing money at, at these projects without really knowing what they're looking at um i, I think that's a shame because it leaves a bad mm-hmm. image for the industry but I, I think we just need to really focus on making crypto easier to use and then sending fiat okay what is one piece of technology you couldn't live without my phone popular answer <laughs> um, don't feel bad about that um, okay, what does your weekend look like? Um, as an entrepreneur, what do you do when, you, when you've got time off from organizing events and coordinating people and places? Um, I love to be outside. So my ideal weekend would be off hiking or mountain biking or out swimming or doing something outside or climbing, um, usually. In the so UK? Um, ideally in the Alps, I'm kind of done with the UK if, if I had the ideal circumstances, Fair enough. but, um, for now in the UK, uh, is there a movie that you can watch over and over again and never get tired of? Of course. I mean, I'm a typical girl, but the notebook just makes me cry like a little <laughs> baby every time. Um, there, there's a few, there's, there's a few, um, I haven't watched a movie in a while. Good point. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you have any catchphrases that, uh, you live by? Catchphrases? Or mottos? Not that I can think of, but I'm fairly sure if you ask people that are closest to me, they could give you a few. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> that will be the next thing. Okay, um, who should we all follow on Twitter? Oh, gosh, I'm useless on Twitter. 
So I can even tell you anyone. Yes, I can tell you an answer. Andrew Cotter. So okay. he's a sports journalist. And so I'm useless on Twitter, but he's he's the one person I really do follow on Twitter. There's two there's two people I really follow on Twitter. Andrew Cotter, the sports journalist, who during lockdown he's got two dogs, two Labradors called Olive and Mabel, and he started doing his his sports commentary uh, about these dogs, and it's the best thing on Twitter. He's gone viral. He's now been given a book deal about them. So Andrew Cotter, the sports commentator, and the other one is the the tweet of God. Um, I, I think that's his handle, but um, it, it's, I mean, I'm assuming it's an American guy who isn't very pro-Trump, but gives <laughs> the most entertaining tweets going. Okay, two to look out for. Um, what was the last thing that surprised you? Gosh, that's a good question. I don't know. You can think about it, it's cool. Okay, that, okay, last thing that surprised me, I asked for a virgin, uh, what was it? A virgin, a mocktail, a mocktail. And you brought this amazing sparkling tea. And this is incredible. It's actually really nice. And I've never heard of this concept of sparkling tea. And also that you went out to Fortnum and Mason to get it from me. I'm, I'm feeling really honoured by this. I don't know you're, the last time someone went to you're Fortnum. You're giving away one of the secrets of Coppercast. <laughs> is that whenever we have a guest, we ask them if they'd like to uh, enjoy a libation while we record. And Erica's request was for... A mocktail. Well, which, which I could, because you said maybe a can of beer or something. So I said that jokingly, thinking that would just be the absolute ideal drink. We take everything very seriously. And, and I love that you took it seriously. And I, I can't believe that you went to Fortnum's together. So, so. so we are drinking a sparkling tea. I think it, it is just like black tea made into a rose. But wine, like an alcoholic, no alcoholic posh yeah. champagne. It's, thing. it's quite refreshing. Okay. So there you go, people. Uh, enjoy sparkling tea uh, <laughs> from Fortnum and Mason. <laughs> at your local Fortnum <laughs> if you have one. Um, okay, who? This is the last question. Um, who should be our next guest on the podcast? Ooh, good question. I can. I can. Maybe Does it have to be someone from the crypto space? No, it's. I mean, we like to talk about anyone who intersects technology and finance, crypto. So people who've got cool stories to tell. That's who we want to talk to. Someone who would be really cool, if you can get this, please, Kaifu Lee. So he was, um, he's written a book, I forgot the name of it, but it's all about AI in China, basically. Mm. Um, and so he used to head up, I think he headed up Google in China, and he's just this total thought leader in, in, in AI, sort of on a worldwide basis, but he just knows what's happening in China probably better than anyone in the world. And I mean, terrifying book about how advanced they are. But, and what's happening with the future AI of, of AI, but absolutely incredible guy. Okay, look out, China. Coppercasts is no pressure, coming to guys. town. <laughs> okay, great. Um, Erica, thank you very much uh, for coming. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Erica's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on our website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which goes out every Monday morning and includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review on whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. Uh, this show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Ben Silvertown, with support from Tally Spear, Maylee Mountfort, and Eva Leela. New episodes come out fortnightly, and in the meantime, stay safe.